Thanks, you guys. Well, hey, everybody. Hello. I've been here four times now, two weeks in a row. You need to say a little better than that, okay? You know I'm nice. Hey, everybody. Hey, there you go. Thrilled to be back. Thrilled to be back next week, a few times between uh, now and Christmas uh, as the church is in a transition. I'm just so, so honored. I, I have to tell you and be honest with you that when I see these greater than signs, I'm a little thrown off because I didn't do good in math, and I had to review which was the actual... Did anybody else not do good in math, just out of curiosity? I know it's hard to say with a math uh, teacher right here. Yeah, I didn't, I didn't do... Um, I remember being forced to memorize how to figure out the area within a trapezoid in high school, and I've been out of high school for 30 years now, and I've been waiting for 30 years for somebody to say, hey... We got a whole bunch of trapezoids over here, and we're just wondering, does anybody know how to figure out the area within a trapezoid? At which point I would say, yes, but nobody's ever asked that. Not saying that math is meaningless, I know, but greater than, it just kind of has thrown me off then. But this greater than is that we live, we do this all the time, the idea of greater than is, is whatever is greater than, we will... We will um, conduct our our focus and our excitement. It's natural to weigh two things against one another and then put our enthusiasm behind that. By show of hands, um, when you were little, how many of you did this with your dad? You said, my dad is stronger than. Anybody do this? Okay, some of us do. Yeah, my dad is strong. My dad can beat up your dad. I have a friend who is a UFC fighter. He's one of the top 10 fighters in the world, and his daughter is in junior high. And I always tell her, you know, when you say my dad is stronger than your dad, it's true, okay? It's, it's, it's true. But this idea, what I want to do is I, I want to I show you this idea of greater than. And I brought a little a pedestal here. And um, based on your participation, we'll find out what goes on this pedestal. So, uh, and it's still for me trying to figure out who this community of people is, is uh, we've got USC over here. And we've got UCLA. Which one goes on the pedestal? Just raise your hand for USC. USC. UCLA. Okay, we're going to put UCLA right here. Hey, Trojans, you've had a rough weekend, haven't you? Yeah, sorry. Actually, a rough three weekends, but who's counting? Uh, Okay, how about um, uh, New York City versus LA? Okay, New York City, make some noise. That's real empathetic of all they've been through recently. And, and uh, uh, how about L.A.? Yeah. All right. Um, how about this side of the room over here with our dividing wall versus this side of the room? Which is greater than? <laughs> yeah, there's better light on this side, but they were definitely louder. So you, you, so you, you, get, you get the concept of that. Uh, how about Facebook versus Instagram? Facebook, Instagram, all right, some of you over 60 are going, what's Instagram? Uh, I, I get it, I get it, I still haven't figured that out, but here's the deal with this, this little game. The answers don't have any real consequence on, on how you and I live our lives, Your life is not going to be affected if Michael Jordan is better than Kobe, Okay, you're not making life-altering decisions over the fact of which one is greater. But when it comes to Jesus, 
and aligning our life to follow him, his supremacy should alter everything in our life. Now, key word, should. Should is an interesting word, isn't it? There's a lot of things that we should do, and it's easy to say, Jesus should alter my life. Talk is so simple. People say, well, you know, yes, Doug, I'm, uh, you know, Jesus is supreme. Jesus is, uh, he's, he's awesome. He's Lord and Savior and Redeemer. He's the Alpha and the Omega. He's Yahweh. No way. Yahweh. You know, he, he, you know he's, he's every. Talk is easy. It really is easy to talk that way. But what's actually tough is to live out those, those shoulds. And in this new series that we're starting in the book of Colossians, uh, the Apostle Paul is writing to this, this group of people where they're beginning to shift their views on Jesus. Now, you can, you can grab a commentary or go online and read it yourself. It's one of the prison epistles, which means that Paul is writing from prison, and he's writing to this group of people who are beginning to shift their views on Jesus. Basically, they're moving from Jesus being more divine to actually more, more human. And, and if I were to summarize this first chunk that we're looking at, it's, it's real simple. It's Jesus is supreme. Now, when you walked in, you got a bulletin, and, and we're trying to experiment through Christmas, is to put some outlines in your, your bulletin. So this is new to this community here. I know you've been outlined less for a long time, and you might want to g- grab that, and we'll walk through this a little bit. But here's the, the summary of this first chunk in, in Colossians 1, 1 through 23, is Jesus is supreme. The key verse here is uh, verse 18. It says, and he, that means Jesus, is the head of the body of the church. He's the head of the body of the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead. Read the rest with me. So that in everything he may have the supremacy. You see, the Apostle Paul drives a stake in the ground. He drives a stake in the ground to say that Jesus is supreme. Jesus is greater than everything. Because Paul knows an important truth. That whatever is greatest in your life you will actually build your life around. What's ever most important to you will be the guiding force for how you spend your time and how you manage your life. So for example, on your pedestal right over here, if it is possessions, if possessions are the most important thing in your life, your world revolves around getting and maintaining and keeping and updating those possessions. If on your pedestal it is money and the security and the safety and the comfort that money buys, your life will be managed and guided around that desire for money, for increasing your bank account, for working harder to make sure that you've got this, this safety and this nest egg. And, and that is what is supreme in your life. Or maybe it's your, your career or your reputation. It could even be good things. For some of us in here, we've put our family as the most supreme. You put our kids or our marriage. It may, be, it may be even fear. There's a fear that is so supreme in your life that's all you think about and you manage and you dictate your life around that, that fear. It could be your ambition. It could be your past. It could be sex. And whatever it is that, is that is supreme in your life, Paul knows that becomes the driving force in how you live your life. So really an intensely practical question for today is this. 
Is Jesus greater than? Is he greater than everything? Is he greater than most things? No, maybe not everything, but, but some things. Now, I'm betting in a gathering of people who would come to church, whether you're a believer or you're not a believer, that if I was to say Jesus is greater than some of our other spiritual entities in the world, Jesus would probably win. For example, is Jesus greater than um, horoscope? Okay, who would win that? Okay, is Jesus greater than the Ouija board? Okay, and if you're under 16, you don't know what that is. Uh, you, who would win that? Jesus. Okay, is Jesus greater than tarot card reading? Who wins? Okay, is Jesus greater than ego? Okay, who wins? All right, so now in a setting like that, that's, that's, you know, that's easy stuff. Or maybe you're saying, you know what? I'm not sure he's greater than. Because I'm well aware that when you get this many people together in two rooms, that, uh, you know, there's a lot of people in their, in their spiritual journey, and you're at different places. And you may be going, hey, man, I don't know if Jesus is greater than. That's why I'm here. I'm just kind of checking it out. I'm curious. I'm wondering. I'm investigating. I'm, I'm dating this girl, and she's saying, if you're going to date me, you're going to church. or You know, whatever it is, you're, you're going, I'm not exactly sure. And if that's you, where you are, that's okay. This is actually going to be a great series for you. The reason it's going to be a great series is because you've heard Christians say things like, um, <clears throat> you know, if you're, you want to put Jesus at the center of your life. And you're actually going to find out in this series why and even the how. And you can then identify whether you want to do that. Do I really believe that? And then if you are a follower of Jesus, or as I talked about last week, remember being yoked to him? If you're with him and connected to him and in relationship with him, this series gives you an opportunity to evaluate, you know, is my life really ordered properly? I mean, I say Jesus is supreme, but is he, is he really supreme in my life, or do I have some things out of order? Are there some adjustments to my thinking or my lifestyle that, that I need to make? See, for me, just me, Doug Fields, I know, I know all the right answers. I know a lot of God's stuff, and God's stuff is a highly technical word for seminary. Okay, I went to three years of graduate school. I learned the Bible in Hebrew and, and Greek and theology. And I know a lot of God's stuff up here. And I know what I'm supposed to feel here. But if I'm really honest with you, there are some times in my life, and I'm embarrassed to even say this, where, where Jesus gets knocked off the pedestal of supreme and what occupies my thoughts and my attention and my affection and my focus for me is a little bit of the fear of the future. That's, that's mine. That's the one that I'm, I'm thinking about and stewing on and going to be writing down. That's, that's mine, the fear of the future. And what's silly about it is that, you know, for decades since I was a teenager when I first started following Jesus, Jesus has a multi-decade track record of provision in my life. And yet there are times when I shift Jesus from being supreme and the fear of my future takes, takes over. Now that's me. Let me ask you. Can anyone in here relate to this whole idea of believing that Jesus is greater but then occasionally living like he's not? Let me see your hands. Okay? Keep them up. Look around. 
see that you're not alone. Yeah, like worry. Okay, I know nobody in here worries. That's the following service. Uh, but, you know, it, it, you know, worry, if Jesus is greater than, why, I mean, why do we worry? If Jesus is greater than, why is it difficult for you to forgive that person? I mean, if Jesus is greater than, why do we live with these, these fears? If Jesus is greater than, why are relationships so messy? If Jesus is greater than, why do you tithe off the net and not the gross and make all these mathematical arrangements with your finances so you don't have to give so much if Jesus is greater than? See, it's easy to say Jesus is greater than. It's easy to say it from up here. It's easy to think it and say it from where you're sitting as well, to know the truth in your head and your heart. But it's also easy, if we're really honest, to slowly and subtly, and maybe even subconsciously, shift Jesus away from what's most important in our life. Sometimes it's not obvious when that shift even took place in your life. It's subtle. What I find, I find it's a lot easier to see when you've shifted than me. Really, I'm pretty good at watching other people's lives and going, "Mm, Jesus is not supreme in their life. Okay, they're kind of nut jobs. I mean, they, they've done something. They, you could tell they emphasize that so much. I mean, they may go to, you know, Mariner's Mission Viejo, but they are not. Jesus is not supreme. Yeah, it's easy to see in other people. Somebody sent me a clip of a, a YouTube clip uh, this week of this lady being interviewed. It was kind of this news expose, and um, she was really into wounded birds. And the whole thing was about her life is about caring for these wounded birds and and she just had this she was the bird lady basically and she her whole life revolved around these wounded birds and and I have nothing against birds I you know don't get me wrong I like them as much as the next person they're delicious uh but you know she she just she was so and she had no friends she had no life it was all about the birds and I realize I'm going to tell that some of you animal lovers you're going to be offended by that illustration and I'm sorry I mean the people that are going to be offended are the people that walk their dog in strollers you're weird okay don't don't talk about me you're weird all right or how about these people you've seen them it's becoming a big thing recently this live action role play you know what I'm talking about it's kind of new but it's obsessive and it's capturing people's lives it's they dress up as war figures and they have nerf swords and nerf shields and they have these elaborate costumes and they play war games in in open fields and it's not like a hobby it's a, it's this passion and obsession and and you know i bet if that you know you would be a wonderful knight in another era but you know, here you're a dork. And, and, but it, so it's easy to go, man, they, 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 other people have made things in their life supreme. But it's difficult when it's evaluating your own life. See, the Apostle Paul knows that whatever you put here, you're going to care about it so much that you're going to adjust everything in your life around it. And the Apostle Paul says, I don't want you to waste your one and only life. The life that Jesus came for you to live life to its fullest, what he's offered you and intended for you, that's what needs to to be there. You're going to care too deeply about stuff that is not supreme. And people have said, well, okay, Doug, how do you know? How do I know if if I've made the shift? 
how do I know in my life what I've put here? Here's how you know. When that gets taken away from you or bumped into or threatened or somebody would take that away, that, your reaction to that would know whether that has become supreme in your life. I'm going to show you an actual example of a young man whose mother took away his World of Warcraft account. And the brother, genius brother, has hidden the video camera in his room to catch the brother's reaction. Now, if you haven't seen this yet, you're welcome. Okay? <laughs> if you're like 67 million people who have seen it, you know what's coming. Watch this. Okay, my mom just canceled my brother's uh, World of Warcraft account, and he is freaking out. It gets worse. I mean, so bad that I couldn't show it to you here. But that's actually equal part hilarious and disturbing. Uh, You know something is important when you just freak out at its loss. Now, you may say, I'd never act like that. But what about your soul? What about the internal you when that thing that is most supreme is, is threatened? What causes you to come unglued? See, whatever it is. If it's not Jesus, that's ultimately going to be a problem for those of us who call ourselves Christians. Because Jesus is supreme. That's what Paul wants us to know today. Jesus is supreme. And when I look at this whole chapter, I go, okay, how do I want to to teach this? Really, I want to break it up into three three parts. And there is the parts go like this. I was, I am... Because of Jesus, okay? I was, I am, because of Jesus. Let's take a look. The I was. This is one of the beautiful realities of, of following Jesus. There is a before part to our lives. This before part is the part that gets wiped away and gets forgiven. There's a lot of us in here that are so thankful that that has been wiped away, right? That, that there was that I was. I mean, there's wonderful testimonies. If we had time to give everybody the microphone and they describe what their life was like before Jesus, you would go, whoa, okay, whoa. There's some, you know, great alcoholics, drug addicts, uh, cheats, liars. And I'm not just referring to the politicians here. Uh, there is, uh, you know, thieves and sex addicts and people who were abused and abusers and uh, people who have made sinful choices and people who have made sinful choices to them. There is a was in each of our lives. Or as the Apostle Paul writes, he uses the were. Okay? Take a look, verse 21. Once you were alienated from God and you were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. Now, I realize that that word alienated, that's a strong word. It's pretty severe. It's almost kind of stinging. But here's what, it makes sense when you think about if God is here and God is perfect and holy and righteous, God cannot have any connection with sin. 
Sin contaminates perfection. And because of your sin and my sin, we were alienated. We were separated from a perfect and a holy God. And some people here, you don't like the thought of being referred to as a sinner. I just, I don't, I, you kind of bristle at it. I don't really, I don't really like to be called a sinner. Okay. I don't really like to be called receding hairline man. All right, but it's, this is real. Look at this. You could park a car back there, all right? It, I may not like it, but it's real. Now, when it comes to me being called a sinner, I don't have any problem with that because I know my heart. I know how to sin. I'm a, I'm a good sinner. Anybody with me on that? Maybe you didn't hear me. Uh, anybody with me on that? Yeah, oh, absolutely. See, my sin nature lives so close to the surface of my life. Last week, as I'm driving here, last Sunday morning, to teach you God's Word, I drive by this, this pack of bicyclists, okay? There's a hundred bicyclists together. And I have, Ken, you and I have mountain biked before. I'm a bicyclist. I have an appreciation for mountain bikers. I'm not good, but I have an appreciation for bikers. These were, these were road bikers, and there was a hundred of them. And I'm driving here to Mariner's Mission Viejo, and I look at all those people, and I think to myself, if I clipped the first one, I don't want to run him over. I just want to clip him. I just want him to fall so that everybody will fall on top of him. That, I mean, it was right there. I'm driving to church. I had God's where I was thinking of my message, and then I see those guys, and boom, I go to that place. <laughs> Who can relate to me? Yeah, okay. Don't, some of you are looking at me like, Doug, you are so evil. It gets worse, okay? A couple months ago, I'm sitting in a mega, mega, mega church. Not in California. You'd probably know the name of it. I'm about to speak. I've got my arm around my wife. I'm one minute from stepping on stage, and I notice the security cameras around the church, and I think, I wonder if they're looking at me. It would be funny to flip them off. I don't, just to let you know. I don't. I don't. I'm just revealing to you my mind. That's where my mind was. Why? Why? I'm about to teach God's Word, and that's what I'm, hey, that would be funny. Okay? I knew better than to tell my wife that would be funny because I wouldn't be able to walk onto stage after that. This summer, I've got some teenagers. We're in, the, we're in Palm Desert. I've got a bunch of teenage girls in my car at a volleyball tournament. And we're in the middle of nowhere. I mean, I see, and I think to myself, if I was to kill one of these girls, okay, this is where I'd bury them. Like, where did that come from? Okay? Some of you are like, oh, it came from the fact you were with teenagers. Okay, no, that's called, that's called sin nature, okay, and if you doubt any of this, just stand by the parking structure five minutes after this service lets out, watching some of you having your hands in the air, praising God, reading your Bible, love you brother, love you sister, you're gonna, go, oh my God, I gotta get out of here, I'm, it's just, it's right there, okay, now, I'm glad we can laugh at sin, because it's ugly, and it's real, and none of us in here are free from it. See, the was part is this. We were over here. We were in bondage to our sin, separated from a perfect and holy God, 
And the reason I even spend any time here is because, one, Paul says you were alienated from God. Remember that. Because I think you and I have to remember and understand our depravity in order to appreciate what we've been given now. Does that make sense? Okay, so that was the I was. Let's move to the I am. What am I now as a follower of Jesus? The Apostle Paul writes in verse 12 through 14, and giving joyful thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us in the kingdom of the Son he loves in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Now there is so much there. I encourage you to reread that. Reread this first chapter this week. You do your quiet times out of there. Mark up your Bible. Meditate on it. You know, this is where we're going in this book of Colossians. Read ahead if, if, if you'd like. But it, so much of the first, actually 11 verses, the Apostle Paul talks about growing, growing in grace and bearing fruit. Now he tells us who we are in Jesus. I made a little list there for you, okay, that I am qualified, meaning this, I'm in. You've made it, not on what you've done, but on who Jesus is. I'm holy. Now I can actually, because of what Jesus, his sacrificial death on the cross, I can have access to this holy, perfect God. He's not this distant deity. I have direct access to God the Father. I have been made holy. Okay? I'm a resident of his kingdom. I live in the kingdom of God. I'm not a visitor I don't have to pay membership. The membership has been paid by Jesus on the cross. Flip your notes over. I am rescued. As I mentioned over here, I was bondage to my sin. I was bound to my sin. I was living in darkness. And because of Jesus, I am now rescued. I'm redeemed. Whew, this is a great one. Redeemed is kind of a, it's a churchy word that means something has been recovered by paying a sum to get it back. Something's been recovered. My life has been recovered because there was a sum that was paid for. That's what Jesus did on the cross. And I'm forgiven. How great. How great that my I was is forgiven. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, If anyone is in Christ, he or she is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Okay, that's the I am, the, the new. But here's the deal. All these I am's that we celebrate, and by the way, if that list doesn't make you have a spiritual smile, at least on the inside, you're dead. Okay? That ought to make you bring a little cheer, put a little dance in your step. I mean, that's, that's the good news that you and I get to celebrate today. But we don't celebrate it because we're wonderful, right? We celebrate it because of who Jesus is. So I've got the I was over here. I've got the I am right here. And in the middle right here, because of who Jesus is. Does this make sense? Okay. So in verse 15, long text. Again, anytime you read long, you read fast, you need to revisit this. The Son, now we're talking about Jesus being supreme. The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. 
For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authority. All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have, there's the word again, say it with me, supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Okay, let's make this real clear. Jesus is a big deal. Okay, that's what he's saying. Jesus is a big deal. And you folks, okay, he's writing to the church. You guys have been shifting making him more human, less divine. Jesus is God. As a matter of fact, I put you know, three things in there that he's saying. Saying Jesus is God, Jesus is creator, Jesus is sustainer. Jesus is God. Sometimes people read verse 15 and think, Jesus was firstborn, so that means he must have been created. No, that's not what the text says. Okay? If you have your Bible, circle the word over. He's the firstborn over creation. What that means is Jesus is over everything. He created everything, and everything has its beginning in Jesus. This concept of firstborn to the audience in the first century, this would have made a lot more sense than it does to us right now in the 21st century, because the firstborn male had all the rights and all the privileges and all the status as, as the father. And all the wealth, all the status, all the power. The point is, Jesus is equal to God, not less than God. So when you say, I wonder what God is like, you look at Jesus. You want to know what the character of God is like, you study Jesus. Jesus is God. That verse also says that Jesus is creator. That when you look at all of creation, you look at the the beauty of creation, that's Jesus. And when you see the order and the design and the creativity, that's Jesus. The sunset, the the waves, the mountains, that's Jesus. All these things were designed by Jesus, created by Jesus. It was created through him, by him, for him. And Jesus is sustainer. What does that mean? It means Jesus holds all all the atoms together. He's the one to make sure the planets are, are lined up. These, these physical principles that we studied in school is in the hands of Jesus. The fact that your body is, is filled with air today, that you're breathing, means Jesus is, is doing his job. He sustains your, your life. Now, why? Why with all that he is, that he's God, that he's, he's creator, that he's sustainer, why would he not be the very center of, of our lives? Right? Jesus is a big deal. That he's deserving of one spot, and that is supreme. And friends, here's why I want you to get this so bad. Because I meet with so many people who are Christians, who view Jesus as as an additive, as a nice little supplement, that I've got my Jesus little power pack. They, they view him as like one component of, of their life. 
See, Jesus doesn't come into your life to help you fulfill your goals so you can be, have a little extra power and be successful in what you want to do. Jesus doesn't come to round out your life. When Jesus comes into your life, he comes in to transform it from dead to life, from unholy to holy, from I was to I am, from old to new. Jesus is not about making your life comfortable, helping you live the American dream. You see, Jesus didn't come to make us comfortable. He came to transform us and take us on this wild ride of adventure. Now, all of this that we've talked about, it is just reduced to one question. This is part one of this series, and it really is just a simple question. Is Jesus supreme in my life? Does Jesus have the highest place? Or, you know what, do I have some things out of order? Some things that need some some rethinking or refocus. Are there other things that I've put right here that are that are acquiring my thought and my affection and my attention? Because you can't know Jesus as supreme if you have other things in your life that are supreme. And I know what some of you are thinking, well, Doug, but you don't understand. The things that are supreme in my life are good things like my kids and my family and my marriage. They're good. Yeah, but there's only one place for supreme. You see, those good things were given to us by God, but when we make those things supreme, everything gets out of kilter. We don't live the way God designed us to live. I tell couples when I, when I marry them, I say, Your spouse is not supposed to be the center of your life. That's not what's going to make your marriage work to its fullest. I I cannot meet all of my wife's needs. She was here last night, and she said amen to that. bothered me. We had had a little bit of pillow talk last night. I asked her not to come today. Uh, But... I can't meet all her needs. I'm not Jesus. I'm not the supreme person in her life. And once we figure that out, that there's only one place for the supremacy of Christ, and that is to be here, and for everything else to take a a different perspective, that's when we win. I actually, this week, I had the opportunity to meet with a couple who live out what I'm talking about. I get the chills just now, just being able to give you a, a, a snapshot into their lives. I met with a husband and wife. The husband has terminal cancer. All of our days are numbered, but his are really, his are really numbered. He's 46 years old, has three wonderful uh, teenagers. And as I sat with this couple, you know what I witnessed? I, I, saw, I saw tears. I heard tremendous sadness. I witnessed an unbelievable love between them. But in the midst of all of it, there was no question that Jesus was supreme. 
they didn't, on that, sitting on that couch, they didn't choose cancer. They didn't choose the script to end this way. But in the midst of that cancer, they did choose to make Jesus supreme in their life. Great marriage, great kids, unbelievable sadness, but Jesus is supreme. They understand that that cancer-ridden body is just a container. It's just a container of a spiritual being who knows that the right place for Jesus is right there. I heard a a cancer-ridden man say, Jesus is greater than my cancer. I heard a wife say, Jesus is greater than the uncertainty of my future. I have a good relationship with their 17-year-old son who has said, Jesus is greater. This young man, Jesus is greater than living some years with, without my dad. You see, to these people, Jesus is not a supplement to their life. He is, he is supreme. And his supremacy has shaped them in the midst of this crisis. See, I, God gave me a gift this week. I got to see lived out what, what I'm talking about today. So now it's, it's your turn. What have you made supreme in your life? What issues or problems or things have become so big that Jesus has become small? What lies have you believed about wealth or power or security that they're going to give you what you want that you've put there in place of Jesus Jesus is greater than your comfort he's greater than your security he's greater than your safety he's greater than your 401k he's greater than your sin your brokenness your career your ambition being out of work he's greater than cancer I want to move you to a place right now where you respond. What is Jesus greater than? Even even if you're not living it out right now, what in your heart and your head do you know that Jesus is greater than? In your bulletin, you should have an orange little slip of paper that looks like this. And just what I'd like you to do is I'd like you to write Jesus on the greater than sign. That's the open one, the one on the left. And what is he greater than in your life? And maybe that's the one that keeps making its way up to the pedestal. I'll give you some examples from last night. Jesus is greater than the desire for wealth. Jesus is greater than my job. Jesus is greater than my fear of failure. Jesus is greater than my pride. Jesus is greater than what people think of me. Jesus is greater than my desire to be accepted. What we're going to do is, Trevor's going to sing a song over us as we move into a time of continued worship, but I'm, I'm begging God's Spirit to bring something to your mind right now that you can write down. And then what I want you to do is, I don't want you just to write it down and take it with you. I want you to put it as an offering 
and by each of the doors there's these big colorful buckets you just drop it in there you don't, don't put names on them spouses do not write your spouse's answer here this is for for you you to do and make that make that an offering and you're gonna you'll see these appear um as this series come comes on so borrow a pen pencil mascara whatever you need to write with and um and what is god putting on your heart and write that down okay let me pray for you god speak to your people right now look at your children they they love you and you know what is out of order in our lives what is it that we need to claim that you are greater than? For some of us, it's our fears, it's our insecurities, it's our brokenness. God, would you, would you speak to your people? I pray in the name of Jesus.